Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 44 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Pea Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week it's part two of my interview on the Maintain the Design podcast. Yes, sir, you can hear me in the hot seat. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to nourish your mind, to flourish at work. Yeah, so this episode's a bit different, folks. You'll hear me being interviewed by Thato Mathabula and G-Man from the Maintain the Design podcast based in Johannesburg. I was really chuffed to be asked by the guys. Their podcast is about creative culture and lifestyle in various industries and niches such as business, art, music and fashion. They say... Not being limited in our topics of conversation is our vibe, and I really, really like their approach. And in this part, we chat about anxiety, creating the conditions to maximise the possibility of tangible results from workplace training, creativity, and loads more. Just nipping over to the news desk. Dear listener, you may have heard talk of the People Soup bookmarks. They're becoming quite a must-have item. We've had some printed to celebrate the podcast, and they're absolutely free. My dad is in charge of dispatch and he's created a bespoke workstation to process your requests. You can see a photo of it in the show notes. And we love connecting with people. So if you'd like some, all we need is your postal address wherever you are in the world. And then me and Big G will leap into action. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, you can also drop some change into my virtual tip jar. It helps us keep the podcast running. And that's over at ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two, where I'm interviewed by Thato and G-Man. And Ross, when we opened up this conversation, we spoke about the lockdown that you're currently experiencing. And... A lot of the people I've spoken to, and even myself, I've felt this personally, and there's a lot of social anxiety happening Mm. at the moment because people feel as if they can't control their movements, they're restricted, you know, they're uncertain about what's going to happen in the immediate future as well. So at the moment, what would you say the attitude of the people that you work with at the moment? What is their attitude? And do you find that people are more productive at the moment and that they're giving their best within organizations despite of all of this uncertainty? Or do you think that there's a, a, a reduced level of productivity because of this fear and social anxiety happening at the moment? Mm. Thanks, Thato. It, it's difficult to generalize completely because I work with various organizations and each one has individuals in it. And so it'll be a variety of responses to the ongoing pandemic and the lockdown here in the UK. And I think I am noticing that people are tired. People are exhausted and quite anxious. And sometimes I'll get the sense from an organization, can you come and remove this anxiety? Yeah, it's not quite as explicit as that. But yeah, (laughs) my message then is no, I'm afraid I can't because people experiencing anxiety. That's normal. We're going through something. So unprecedented and weird that it's normal to be anxious so it's 
giving people the skills to help them manage their day, help them disconnect from work at the end of the day rather than just keep working. Mm. There's a psychological theory called basic psychological needs. These are some mm. of the basic human needs and they could be described as ABC. Yeah. Mm. So autonomy, belonging and competence. So autonomy mm. is you have some control over your day. Belonging is you can connect with other people and mostly that will be done by video or telephone okay. and competence. You can feel like you're developing skills. So I'd really focus on that for people who are feeling quite despondent. Mm, yeah. And do I think productivity has gone up or down? My instinct would be it depends on the organization. For instance, I'm doing some work with the National Health Service here in yeah. the UK. I would place a bet that I think productivity has gone up in terms of patients and working hours and the work they're doing. Yeah. The cost of that in the longer term, I don't know. But whether you would class that as productivity, I'm not sure. In other organizations, I, I honestly don't know. I think in these circumstances, I think productivity can vary individually on a kind of hourly basis. I, I don't know if you guys experience this. You can have days where you think, oh, I got yeah, all the time. I really nailed that today. I, I got loads done and it was really quite a productive day. And then other days, it feels like you're wading through treacle and you get nothing done and you can feel quite despondent. So, so I think productivity, it can vary. And it, I think it can be really influenced by the pandemic too. Yeah. Those, yeah. those feelings of social anxiety. So the other thing I'd encourage people to do is think about what they control. Mm. For instance, I, I don't control the local response to this pandemic. I'm not in charge of policy for this country. Yeah. So I can't influence the policy, I don't think. But I can influence what happens to my family, how we respond to how we respond to the rules and regulations to try and keep us safe and keep myself safe. So that's something where I can expend my energy, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. Ross, I, so we're talking about ACT and I think with all these, with all these metacognition techniques and and therapeutical techniques it's easy to gloss over just how like difficult it is to apply in, in in most scenarios or when you're trying to do it yourself what's the best way to to take away from act or to at least come away with some sort of tangible results from using act and mm. um, just to add on sort of an addendum to that question do you ever come across cases that you think are beyond your help or beyond the act of the help of act Right. And what would that be? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think in training and in working with groups and individuals, it's giving people time when you're with them mm. to rehearse the skills. Okay. Yeah. So having some opportunity for behavioral rehearsal in a training session is critical mm. because we've all been on training courses where they present some whizzy idea and you think, oh, that could be useful. Then you leave that training course and you've had not have an opportunity to practice it. Mm. And it just becomes a folder that you put in your desk and find 10 years later. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So I think there's that. I think ideally, if I was training people in act, I would do it over more than one session, ideally over, say, three or four sessions. So people can come back and say, oh, I've had a go at this and this is what happened or this is what I noticed. And we can really build on the learning then and people can learn from each other. 
it all gives them more of a chance of sustainable behavior change. And similarly in coaching, mm. holding uh, your coaching client to account, they, they commit to do to take action between sessions and it's exploring what happens in each of those, supporting them and noticing that and giving them a chance, perhaps again, for some behavioral rehearsal sometimes in coaching. Sometimes you will rehearse them having a difficult conversation. You will play the other person. Mm. It allows them to feel what it's like to hear those words coming out of their own mouth. Mm. And the second part, yet yeah, in a group situation, that's really interesting because if I'm working with, say, a group of, say, 10 people, yeah. some people will be more engaged than others. Mm. And, and you don't always know what people are getting out of a session. You can ask them, give them questionnaires at the end. And I think some people it will appeal to less. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully they get something out of the approach, whether it's, oh, thinking about what's important to me in this life area or thinking about, oh, my mind, I could almost consider myself as observing my own mind mm. rather than be tangled up in what it produces. That could be, if they got that out of some training, I'd be delighted. Mm. And in terms of coaching, if, if someone presented a, an issue or something they wanted to work on that, that I wouldn't say it had to be directly related to work, because in my coaching work, we do talk about my client's life outside of work. Mm -hmm. but, but if it got into an area where I, I knew there was other expertise, so for instance, addiction, that is not my area of expertise. So, say someone had an addiction in, in their life that was inhibiting them in the workplace. I would I would refer them on to a uh, colleague to yeah. to recommend that they seek support and that could be continuing with an approach founded in act or it could be a, a different approach mm. that would work for them. Jiman yeah. mm. and I have actually been exploring and discussing creativity a lot lately. Our podcast is centered around creative culture and lifestyle but as time has progressed I've really been thinking a lot about creativity and what it actually is. You know, most people from my generation, if you ask them what a creative is, they'll think color, they'll think freelancers, they'll think people that produce and shoot content, they'll think music and all this kind of stuff. But creativity is such a complex topic to explore in terms of um, its definition. So from a psychological perspective, how would you personally define creativity? Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting topic. I'm glad you're, you're exploring this, guys, because let me just give you an example. If I went into a school and said to a group of, I don't know, six-year-old children, mm. who is creative here? Who is an artist? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Corona. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Blimey. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if I said... Who is an artist? Mm. They would all put their hands up. They would all just love that freedom, that creativity, that making a mess and loving yeah. their art. But it, by the time they're about, I'm not sure exactly, but say 12 or 13, if you went into yeah. a school and said, who's an artist? Maybe three or four would put their hands up. Mm. Mm. And it's, I think, I think you're right. I think people have a, quite a limited view quite a restrictive view of what creativity is. Yeah. Some of my work is with people in, in the civil service, in government, or in finance professions. Mm. Yeah. And they can say, 
oh, creativity couldn't be one of my values because I can't draw or I can't paint. Mm. And sometimes in a, in a coaching session, I might just get people to say, okay, have a, have a go at drawing your, your situation or drawing where you'd like to be in five years' time. And I don't care how brilliant or otherwise you think it is. Just have a go. And if you're willing to share it with me, it can unlock things in people because mm-hmm. they could produce quite what they might consider to be quite a rudimentary childlike drawing. Mm, but, yeah. but I can see it and they can talk me through it and it can release something in them to think because I would, I would suggest they were probably having thoughts like I'm not an artist, I'm not creative and those thoughts like I'm not an artist, I'm not creative are like a cage around us. Mm. Mm. We, we start buying into that story. Mm. We believe that story as a, as a kind of a bit of a, a side note. Sometimes when I'm working with people in exploring their personal values, I will have a set of values cards with about 60 different words written on these cards and the definition. And one of those words near the top is adventure. Mm. And people will always say, oh, I'm not adventurous. I would never do a bungee jump. Mm. And I'm like, why do people always say bungee jump? Why do people associate? <laughs> why do people associate adventure or excitement with bungee jump? Because I always say, one person's bungee jump could be me going to the supermarket and deciding instead of using my regular brand of washing powder, I'm going to switch brands. That could be an adventure for <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. But we can become so restricted by a story in our heads that like, I'm not creative, or I'm no good at sport, Mm. or I couldn't do that, I'm not clever enough, that those thoughts become like a prison around us. And we think we can't do stuff. I I mean, since we're on this topic, uh, do you possibly know why we've got limiting beliefs? Is it because I can understand, obviously, the, the practical side of it, you know, that you can't probably put your hand in a burning fire and stuff like mm. that. Is there, is there an evolutionary, you know, advantage from it or is there a purpose for it? Yeah, it's, it does have an evolutionary perspective. And the way I would try and have a go at positioning it is that we've descended from people who survived because they were quite cautious. Mm. They had part of their brain that was saying, don't go out on your own because you might get eaten by a wild animal. Mm -hmm. It was developing a a threat system and and the people who listened to those thoughts and warnings didn't Mm -hmm. go out and and we've all descended from them. So the the mind is doing exactly the same thing, producing Mm -hmm. threats and warnings, but the environment in which we live is quite different now. So it's knowing when our mind is doing something useful, like, hey, don't put your hand in the fire. Yeah. And when it's saying, hey, don't say yes to the invitation to speak or to give mm-hmm. that lecture mm-hmm. because people might ask you difficult questions. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's helping us distinguish and notice what our mind's doing. So, yeah, there is a definite evolutionary perspective to us. And that's what can yeah. keep us trapped and kind of unfulfilled. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Conventionally, people would say that originality and functionality are the main components of creativity. But we, we've just discussed how more diverse it possibly is mm. and maybe it should be explored more by society as well. But just on, crea- on, on functionality and originality, do you think when it comes to those two components, do you think that people spend too much time focusing on the originality of whatever they're creating and not the functionality? Mm. I've never really thought of it like that. And I think, I think you might be right. In, in this approach, we talk about the function of a thought. Mm. If the function of a thought is to say, if I'm having the thought, oh, I shouldn't put my hand in the fire, the function of that is really useful for me because I don't put mm. my hand in the fire. If yeah. I'm having a thought, I'm just trying to work this through in my head. If I'm having the thought that my new product or my next podcast episode needs to be really original, I could get kind of tangled up in that. Well, what is original? How do I know it's original? What if someone on the other side of the world is doing exactly the same as if at the same time as me? Or what if they did it five years ago? So we can Mm. get tangled up in that. So I guess creativity is about connecting things in a different way or getting different perspectives on things. And that's where we can really see advances. And that's where there can be some happy experiments. So I think a kind of rather than striving for originality, I would suggest holding lightly the values of experimentation and playfulness Mm. and then seeing the functionality of what emerges. That could be a kind of different lens to look through. Mm. It's something. It's something to really think about. Maybe we'll write a book on it one day, G-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, Ross. So obviously, we, we we looked at your bio, and it said you you you're still working in research. What are you working on at the moment? Anything exciting? Yeah, we're designing interventions based upon ACT to deliver in organisations across the public sector. So from from teachers to people who work in the civil service to people who work in the NHS primarily. And okay. we're doing, we're, we've been doing measures before and after, and those measures are both quantitative and qualitative. So we're looking at both sides. We're interviewing some people afterwards, and that all, all that data is currently coming together. But what we do know, early indications and from previous studies, is that we know we can elevate psychological well-being for people in organizations Hmm. and particularly for distressed employees we can elevate psychological well-being if people are in a really quite a distressed state and they can come into a group intervention with us we know that we can improve their well-being yeah yeah some other research that's very much early days, but we're looking at ways to apply the same approach as ACT as in teams to develop the conditions for collaboration and cooperation within teams Mm, mm. using behavioral science and other approaches from evolution and economics. So that's that's some stuff that other people have, have developed the concepts and the theory, and we are just starting to think about applying them in organizations. I have been applying it in organizations as an approach, mm. but I haven't yet been measuring it. So we're now looking to, to measure it. Uh, mm. okay. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I also wanted to ask, so it, it says you were, you were 
actually in public service for about 20 years. What made you What made you leave after 20 years? I mean, that's a career, you know. What made you switch it up? Yeah, that was that was quite a big moment. Honestly, I was bored. Really? I was looking. I was I was in human resources. My career had kind of. I had. I, don't get me wrong. I had a really fantastic and exciting career in the civil service, mm. and guys, I was well paid. I had a prospect of a decent pension, mm. and I was quite despondent over a number of years. I was thinking, like, is this it? Yeah. I didn't feel I was really making the impact or the difference that I could do in organisations. Oh, I felt no. a bit like, a bit like Groundhog Day, I guess. This thought was with me for probably about five years. It was kind of an itch that I kept scratching. Mm. And then one day I said to my partner, I said, because I was thinking about how we are remembered in organizations, and I said, what do you think I'll be remembered for? And he said, that's easy, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wasn't being harsh. He wasn't being cruel. He was essentially speaking the truth. He, he meant it with much love. But mm. we tend to think that we are a vital cog in, in an organization. And actually, from my perspective, I'm not. We can hopefully do good work mm. and make an impact. But, but we're, we're not remembered that much. So that mm. was kind of set me thinking, well, I can do what the hell I want to do. And so I, I left. And I remember I was terrified of telling my parents because they always were like, oh, our Ross is in a really good job in the civil service. He's, he's been promoted a couple of times and he's doing really well. Mm. And in their minds, I was kind of running the show. I was running the, the government, okay. the, the civil service. <laughs> I certainly wasn't. As an aside, I wasn't. But you know how parents get with the pride. Yeah. And, yeah. and I told them eventually that I was leaving. And they were like, and I was leaving to go back to study. I was going to do a master's in organizational psychology. And they said, oh, good for you. You've been miserable for a while. You should do something that, that ignites you and gives you purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you recommend it for anyone else if you, if you, you know what I mean, feel the itch, scratch it kind of thing? Yeah, I would definitely say if people have the itch to explore it. I wouldn't say yeah. just leap. But explore it because we can just become all those thoughts like I need to provide, I need to pay a mortgage, mm. I have a family, whatever they are. Just explore them openly and think about what oh, those big questions that we can ignore for our whole lives. What do I want to get out of my career? Mm -hmm. I worked with a, a person who was an investment banker mm. who was earning mega bucks. Yeah. They had a, a beautiful house a very luxury type of lifestyle. Mm. And they were absolutely miserable, absolutely miserable mm. and despondent. And they had a real attraction to teaching. They thought, I really love to be a teacher. Obviously, the difference in salary mm. between an investment banker and a teacher is... Yeah, it's lost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I did some coaching work with them. And we just explored the, the practical issues Mm. We explored what they would get from teaching, what qualities, what what purpose would they get from teaching. And they made the move. They did it. And there was a moment when they were discussing it with their family. 
their partner and their their children. Mm. And the kind of message from one of the children was, I'd rather have a daddy that was alive and happy than one that was sad and died. So it's kind of shit's getting real when you start to ask those sort of questions of yourself. But it, Mm. it can take you in unusual directions. Yeah. And I think one of the main issues is that people think that they don't have time. So they'll be unhappy with whatever it is that they're doing and feel like they have to do it to fit into society and to provide, Mm -hmm. like you said, you know, and have a certain perception in society. But I think there's always time to pursue what makes you happy ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but Ross, how do you, because sometimes I honestly can't discern between genuine desires and sort of maybe what you say is sort of a, societal conditioning and expectations how does one discern sometimes sometimes you really do think you want something you know mm. out of your own innate desire and uh, it gets confusing how do you discern is there a way there's, there's not a magic formula mm. i can give you but i think it's really connecting back to the the values what gives you purpose in your life what do you think connects you to to meaning and it can be that you experiment a little be willing to experiment and and try an avenue try something rather than leaping into it wholeheartedly that the guy the guy i mentioned before about who went from investment banking to teaching he did took some holiday and did some assisting in a school as an assistant teacher so experiment don't think you have to go wholeheartedly in one direction and then because that again could be a prison if you say, oh, this is my desire, this is my purpose, and you mm-hmm. invest everything in that, and you move forward, mm-hmm. and in a year's time you think, oh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure this was the right direction, then you might feel some sort of compulsion to keep going, but maybe through embarrassment. What would people think if I said I wanted to do this and now I've changed my mind again? Mm-hmm. So it can, that can become a prison, so you think, oh, I must just keep going. Mm-hmm. So I think... Be prepared to keep checking in on whether this is fulfilling. Because I think our personal values can, sometimes they can be a, values that are a rich scene throughout our whole lives mm-hmm. and remain with us. Sometimes they change with different life events as we, as we get yeah. older. Yeah. And uh, Ross, just to end off with, I just wanted to find out what inspired you to start podcasting, to go into podcasting and to start the People Soup podcast. Oh, yeah, right. I do, I do some lectures at some universities, mainly ones in London City, University of London and Birkbeck in London. And I was doing a lecture to some master's students in organizational psychology. And the sort of theme of my lecture was get out there into organizations and make some noise with evidence-based science. Mm-hmm. Because I was frustrated that there are people working with organizations who are using stuff that may look very groovy and flash in terms of marketing and presentation, but there's no evidence base on it. And it's just not going to result in any behavior change. So my message to them was get out there and make some noise in organizations, be proud of being an organizational psychologist and getting out there and make a difference. Something's made you come on this course. So get out there and use evidence-based psychology to support people in organizations because, crikey, people need us in organizations. So that was the kind of thrust of my lecture. And one person at the end said, 
what are you doing to make some noise? Yeah. And I thought, well, oh, bugger. I thought, oh, shit. Well, I thought, <laughs> well, what, what I'm doing in organizations is the ones I work with, I am endeavoring to make some noise, but could I re reach a larger audience? Yeah. So then I very tentatively started my first episode. I, I don't even, I think I called it an audio blog. I thought it was just going to be a one-off. Mm, yeah. And I talked about autopilot and the wandering mind. And that was my first episode. And then I got such a response to that that I kept going. So now I do a mixture of interviews with people who are really creative in the way they convey their message mm. about behavioral science. And I do shorter episodes where I hopefully give people an insight into the skills that they could use to support themselves and each other in their working lives and beyond. So mm. that's where it came from, someone asking a question in a lecture. And then the name came from a quote from... Abraham Maslow. And he said, a first rate soup is more creative than a second rate painting. <laughs> and I just thought that was quite, quite an interesting quote. And from that, I thought about an organization is like a soup of people with different people, different perspectives, different skills. Mm. And if you mm. blend that soup correctly, you can get great creativity, productivity, and it takes spices and herbs and mixing. So that's why I came up with the title, People Soup. Mm, nice. One more sort of personal question. So what are your personal values? Yeah, great. My personal values, creativity. So aiming to make this behavioral science that is evidence-based and I apply in my own life, making it as accessible to as many people as possible. Mm. And some of that is through the People Soup podcast. Mm. Another of my core values is being of service to others. I see that people are suffering in organizations and with the provision of psychological practical skills, it can help them navigate the complex world of organizations and their own lives. Mm. And courage, they, they are three of my core values. So courage to actually think, I don't know if you guys feel this sometimes, when you press publish on an episode and you think, oh, what if this isn't quite right? Or what if someone says, yeah. you've got that completely wrong? Or, or this is a bit shit. Yeah, all the time, all the time. <laughs> and, and it takes courage to actually keep going, chaps. So I'll be applaud you in what you do and the, the way you're exploring issues and letting it be quite flexible in the way you develop your themes and, and, and guide your conversations. So hats off to you. Thanks, we, we appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Russ, thank you so much for speaking with us. Hopefully it's not the last time. Hopefully we can have another conversation in the future. Hey, that would be wonderful, guys. I've really enjoyed this. You've given my mind a real workout this morning. <laughs> no, we're glad. We're glad. Peace, supers. That's it. In the bag. I'd like to thank Thato and G-Man for their warm welcome and great questions. It was so interesting to talk with them. If you like this episode of the podcast, please could I ask you to subscribe, rate and review it. It helps us make our voice heard. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. 
On Facebook, we are at PeopleSoupPod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. <laughs>